comes with preaching on I am he, he is not in the Bible. Just I am is in there. Now, they put he in there, but you'll notice when we read it today, it's italicized, which means that the writers added that in so you could better read it rather than understand it. So when we read Jesus says, I am he, he's saying, I am. We'll back up a step from that. If Jesus says, I am, he's saying he is God. Back up one more step from that. If Jesus is God, then Christianity is the superior religion. So you don't say man because you're, you're in a progressive state of culture that you can't say anything that might be negative to someone else. If I drop this and I wanted to use God's name in vain, I wouldn't say Mohammed. Right? No one's ever damned me with the name Buddha. But how many's ever heard Jesus or Jesus Christ or God used in a manner that we would consider cursing or at least not appropriate? Anybody besides me? Yeah. And some of us have used it ourselves. So I'm just saying we understand that. I'm just trying to give you a basis for something right now to get a hold of. This is going to sound almost intolerant, but someone's got to put their foot down in our society and say that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the only way, he's the only truth, and he's the only life, and nobody gets to heaven aside from Jesus. You can't go because you're pretty, because you're strong, or because you're good. They're they're just such good people. There are a lot of good people, and the Word of God will make it very clear that there are a lot of good people that don't go to heaven. It's never been about who's the best. It's always been about Jesus. And we're coming into the... Easter season next week, Resurrection Sunday, and we're dealing with some things that we need to get a hold of. And I'm just going to be very honest with you right now. We in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are born again, that believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you better get a grip on your salvation experience and who he is in this society. If you don't, you will get bent. You will get bent. You'll find yourself nodding yes to statements that you know aren't true, but you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Amen? The other thing, too, is you really believe that Jesus is the only way. Maybe you would tell somebody. Maybe the person you think is not going to make it would be worth you saying something to them about it. Amen, y'all? I'm just saying, better to hurt their feelings and them have an opportunity for salvation in heaven than to say nothing and guarantee them hell. I'm just saying. So we're going to look at this I am he uh, uh, today out of Luke, I mean out of John chapter uh, 18. We'll be going there. But I'll just tell you this, that in John, it's mentioned seven times, Jesus mentioned seven times that I am he or that I am. He mentions it seven times in John, most used uh, portion of scripture for him. As a matter of fact, 
three of the seven times are in the first 11 verses of John 18. So we're going to be looking at John 18. But to understand this, John 13, if you get 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, the five chapters preceding 18, you find all of this is in the upper room. You remember that, right? They went to an upper room so they could have the Passover together. So they're in the upper room. And beginning in verse in chapter 13, Jesus is talking about the Passover and getting everything prepared and the washing of feet. And identifying Judas is going to betray him. He does all of that and talks about you've got to love one another and you need to wash others' feet. All of that is in chapter 13. And the beginning in chapter 14, 15, 16, those are the chapters where Jesus talks about himself being the way, the truth, the life. Also, we heard this a couple weeks ago that he is the vine. There are not a lot of vines. There's one vine. There's one way. There's one truth. There's one life. In these same chapters, he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit and he talks about him overcoming the world for us. Remember that? He said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because why? Because I've overcome the world. So he lays out his position as he's in the upper room. These are the last words of Jesus. And then you get to chapter 18 and John begins writing. Now, this is interesting to me. He, John, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he doesn't talk about the garden at all. He doesn't talk about them praying. He doesn't talk about Jesus praying and having sweat like great drops of blood. He doesn't talk about the, the disciples sleeping and Jesus the only one praying. He doesn't talk about either. He doesn't talk about Jesus saying, let this cup pass for me. You remember that, right? In, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have that. But John starts in his writing, he starts with, the arrest of Jesus. So I want to read this with you right now. This is John 18. We're going to read 11 verses. I think, you, I think you can stand that because if you don't get anything else out of this, you need to get the word of God out of it. Amen, <clears throat> Amen y'all? Amen. Now look, I know you, some of y'all are mad already. I mean, I made you mad on the, on the get-go. But, 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 but let me just tell you this. I'm trying not to use a gym reason, but uh, that's... That's my best work right now because I'm, I'm retired. I don't do anything else. Hunt and fish and go to the gym. But one of the things I found out at the gym, and now Blaze is one of my partners at the gym, uh, one of the things that I, I found out at the gym is there, there are several ways you can do something, but each way makes a demand on you doing it correctly. Uh, back up and said another way. Now, to put a weight up over your head. They call that an overhead. What is it called? What is it called if I just do this? An overhead press, right? Okay, then, then what, if it, what if it is this? What if it is this? That was kind of, kind of a jerk. That, that didn't fit. Uh, and then there was a, there's another one. You got the weight right here. You got the bar right here. And you do this, like this. And then you stand up. And that's a split jerk. Okay. So I, I did these different things to show you. You have to do it a certain way. And you all noticed on one of those, when I said, what was it? No one from the gym would answer. <laughs> except Gabriel. And he said, kinda. Now, the truth is... 
If I were to have done that in the gym and Gabriel were my coach, he would say, no rep. In other words, it doesn't count. you got to do it again. The other day we were doing some lifts at the gym and one of them was this, you're supposed to do a, let the weight just hang here and then put it up into a clean position like this. Well, I came up from the floor with my weight and I put it right here and stood up and he was watching. That's the bad thing about coaches. And he's watching. And he looked at me because we were counting these. Had to be 15 of them. So he, he watched me do it. And he said, no rep on that. I'm thinking, dude, I got it up on my shoulders. He said, yeah, but you can't pull it up from the floor. You got to pull it up and stop. And, and I just thought, this is so complicated. Can't, can't I just pick the weights up? I mean, I'm 72. If I get the weight off the floor, don't I get credit? I mean, something. Here's what I find out in the Word of God. The Word of God is not nilly-willy and let you do it how you want to. And sometimes we read the Bible and think, we can just do it how we want to. We're going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter how we lift it. We're going to get credit for it because we're good. I'm just going to tell you right now, you might want to reread your Bible. You might want to take another trip through the New Testament. You might want to just start reading and processing the life that is expected out of us and begin to ask the Lord to help you. I don't know about y'all, but I don't do life that well, and I'm having to daily ask the Lord for help. But here's the crazy thing about going again to the gym. When I go, I know I'm using it, but when I go to the gym, every time we do a workout, they tell me the rudiments of it, the basics of it, what you got to do. I've been doing this thing for three years. I know how to do it. But every, well, some of them, every time, every time we have to do the exercises, the coach takes you back and shows you how to do it. We get to church and someone takes us back a few chapters and we get bored or we get to think, all right, got that. I'm going to heaven already. I'm going to tell you right now, we need the word of God. We need to pay attention to our lives. So here's what it says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with the disciples over the brook Kidron. The book Kidron, you need to mark that in your mind somewhere. I know you probably don't have a Bible to mark it in, but somewhere marked it. The book, they crossed Kidron, where there was a garden. That's where they were headed, up to the Mount of Olives. By the way, Jesus is coming back that way. His last trip there, he was arrested. His next trip there, according to Scripture, when he comes, he'll put his feet down on the top of the Mount of Olives. It will split from north to south. He will walk westward toward the eastern gate of the city, which is closed right now. But when he gets here, we'll be opened and walk into the very uh, Mount uh, of, of Sacrifice. So I'm just saying uh, there's things in here you need to know about. And Judas, who betrayed him, here are verse 2, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus often met with his disciples. I'm just going to say right now, Judas knew what's going on. He, he knew what was happening. He'd been there. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, detachment or a cohort, some of the translations have different words there, a detachment of troops, that's hardened military Roman soldiers that know how to take your head off. They are tough. They're, they're battle-worn, and they're there to get this Jesus. 
and officers. This is the police from the, the, from the temple. They have uh, assigned officers there. So they had these officers or the, pol- the, the, the police of the temple from the chief priests and the Pharisees came there. Look what they had. They had lanterns, torches, and weapons. They come to get one man. A detachment is somewhere between two and 600 men. They've come to get one man. They came with torches and lanterns and weapons to get one man. Uh, here, here just, this is a mic thought, just a throwing head. It has nothing to do with God, but just an interesting thought. They, so they've got lanterns and they've got torches. Lanterns are big pots that have light and fire in them. They've got lanterns, they've got a torch, and they've got their weapons. And the Bible says in a minute they're all going to fall down. And my question has always been, what happened to those torches and lanterns? Those some people got burned, y'all. I mean, it doesn't say that, but you just got to think logically. They had lanterns, torches, and weapons. And verse 4 says, Jesus, therefore, you need to mark this in your heart, knowing all things. Nothing ever slipped up on Jesus. Nothing happened to him that he didn't already know what was happening to him. Therefore, Jesus, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And verse number five says, they answered Jesus of Nazareth. Now, just to say, when they said Jesus of Nazareth, he was Jesus of Bethlehem. He was Jesus of a lot of places, but he really wasn't Jesus of Nazareth, except for the fact that he had lived there with his his family. And the Nazareth part was to put him down because the Bible says nothing good has ever come out of Nazareth. So part of them identifying him was just to tell him how sorry he was. They answered and said, Jesus of Nazareth, and he said to them, I am he. And this is where you would find in, the, in, your, in your Bible that he is italicized. Sometimes it'll have an asterisk by it and send you to the bottom of the page and tell you that it was added in by the writers. He said, I am, or I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, or I am, they, watch what happens. They drew back and they fell to the ground. You might want to mark that because there are people in my life and maybe me too that I take Jesus just a little bit too lightly. No amens. You're going to find out in the presence of God it's not easy for us to stand. We talk about, we sing about the glory of God is in this place. I'm going to help you right now, y'all. I believe God's in the room and I get that, but his manifested presence, if he touches you with that, you don't stand up. You will kneel, you will bow, you will fall. Something will happen because of his presence. We'll deal with that in just a minute, but just, just keep that in the back of your mind. They, fell, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who are you seeking? This is the second time he's asking that. They say, Jesus of Nazareth. I bet they whispered at that time. I don't know, but just say it. And Jesus said, I told you I'm he. Therefore, now watch this. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. You need to mark that, write it down, put it in the back of your heart. Let the, you want me, you forgive these. That's what that also means if you read that word out. You let these go. 
that they, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke. He just spoke this in chapter 17, just out of the upper room, just walked across Kidron up to the mountain. He just said this, of those whom you gave me, I've lost none. Except for Judas, which he said he lost him. He said, I've lost none of these you've given me. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and when it said, then, Simon Peter, you know something bad's going to happen. I mean, then, then Simon Peter is a heads up duck because he's about to be stupid. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, of all things, fishing with a knife, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. You might want to you might want to write Malchus down because you're going to say, "Well, it doesn't matter who he was. It matters why his name is there, and we'll talk about it." So Jesus said to Peter, "Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me?" And I'm going to say right now, when he talks about that cup, you'll need a note on that. That means judgment. Will I not take the judgment that the Father has? I'm going to back up and say it another way, y'all. Jesus, when he was on the cross and said, forgive them because they don't know what they do. He was talking about people that did not understand who he was, that they were, they were, they were sacrificing or killing the son of God. They didn't really get the whole picture. And then he also said, uh, remember when he cried out, he said um, to the father, you know, why, why is this happening? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? One of the things that you deal with on that, and it's a little bit difficult, and Pastor Gabriel will clear it up next week for you, but, but one of the things about him being on there, he had us on him. He, y'all listen to me? He had us on him. He had us on him. And I don't know about the rest of y'all, I'd been saying, my father, my father, where are you? I mean, I'd have been crying out for some help right then. And I'm just going to say this, Jesus, Jesus wasn't in a quandary over God but he was bearing the sin of us all. I believe it was a cry. This is my opinion. I just believe it's a cry of what he had on him. It wasn't because he didn't believe God loved him, because he knew the plan. I believe he was crying out for every one of us. I believe he was crying out for every one of us that needed substitution. So here we go. Let's look at this real quickly. Uh, we'll, we'll get through this in about three minutes. Lord, forgive me for lying. <laughs> verse number one. Let's look at verse number one of the things, it said they crossed the Brook Kidron, so you need to know that, the Brook, Brook Kidron. My wife and I have been there. We've looked at that. We've, we've crossed Kidron. Back in the day when they were, Jesus was alive, and, and even before he came along, they used to sacrifice inside the, on the temple uh, mound. They used to sacrifice, and the blood would run down, and it would run into the Kidron Valley. They'd wash it out, and it would come down, uh, the blood of the sacrifice of the lambs would come down into the Kidron, into this this creek, this river bottom. And the Romans, because of the stench of the blood, they built reservoirs in Israel. They've got reservoirs built that have uh, uh, aqueduct that brings it down into the Kidron and it will flush out and help run the blood out of it. And Kidron means dark or black and it's because of the blood. And at this particular time, they were sacrificing Two to 250,000 lambs. Now, y'all just kind of figure the blood on that. 
That's what was running. That's what was going down in there. So Jesus was crossing over that. I think it's interesting also that Jesus crosses over the sacrificial blood. I just there's some interesting things there. It's a dark place, but he crosses over. In verse number two, it lets us know that it's a familiar place to Judas. So Judas has been there before. We know that. He's been with Jesus when he prays. And I'm just going to say this to you. I know a lot of y'all are quiet prayers, and you know, and I get that, and you pray inside, and you don't have to be loud. You don't have to be demonstrative. I get that. But you know, Jesus had quiet times, but maybe he had some loud times. If you read your Bible, it said he would pray with loud groanings, with lifting his voice. And that's throughout the word of God when people would seek God. So when someone by you maybe lifts their hand and they get just a little bit noisy, just let them go. They're probably going to be fine because you will find Jesus crying with a loud voice. And if the Son of God lifts his voice, and it's an okay thing, Maybe some of us followers might need to open our quiet mouths and begin to speak. Your words have great power and authority. What you say can change things around you. It doesn't say you think yourself right, but you can speak to the issues. You speak to the mountain. You speak to the problem. You speak to the demon. You speak to the sickness. We, we make our voices heard. It's called prayer. Just just. So Judas knew where this place was. Verse number three says this. Tell us, uh, it tells us Judas had a detachment or a cohort of Roman soldiers. Now, that could be, if it's a cohort or detachment of soldiers, it, it's a part of a legion. And a legion is somewhere between ten and 12,000. And that would be a tenth of that. So you're somewhere between two and 6,000 uh, or two and 600 men that are there. Just think for a minute. They're going to pick up one guy but they've got two to 600 armed soldiers. Now, I will help you with that. One of the reasons they would do that is they knew that crowds would come to him. They remember, we, we heard this last week, that when he, I think it was last week, one, one time, that he was feeding the 5,000, and, and there would probably be somewhere around 20,000 people there. So now it makes sense to me that they had so many soldiers because they didn't know what they were going to walk into. So they had all these soldiers. They've got, their, they've got the temple security. They've got torches, lanterns, and, and weapons. And they're going to go pick up Jesus. And I, I just love this. Jesus comes to them. Now watch verse number four. You need, to, you need to process this one. It's very interesting here that verse four tells us that Jesus isn't caught by surprise. The Bible says Jesus knowing. So let me tell you something. You're having a bad day. Jesus knew that. I hate that you're having a bad day. I have bad days too. I've had people in my life that have been hurt, harmed. They've been lost. They've been killed. They've, they've had issues in their lives, and it's just they die, and, and we have these dark days. And I'm just going to say this to you. I'm thankful that God knows because if he knows that he's prepared something for me, if he knows I'm going through a dark day, he doesn't walk away and say good luck on a dark day. He already knows that. Then I can depend on him. And I wish I could tell you you won't have a dark day, but every one of us will. Right? My death will be a dark, light day. It'll be dark for somebody, whoever's got to dump the ashes, probably. The grandkids, on the other hand, are going to be elated. We get all of his guns. Of course, Gabriel says, 
Maybe you'll get them all. The idea is Jesus knew what was going on. He knew what was going on. The other thing I like is he stepped up. He didn't wait back for them to come find him. He stepped up and said, who are you looking for? I mean, he knows what's going on, but he's putting everything in place. He says, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. This is verse number five. He said, I am he. The Greek says, ego emi. Ego, E-G-O, like ego. Ego and me, E-I-M-I. Ego and me. Ego and me means I am. Have you heard I am before? Oh, yeah, baby. You heard it in Exodus 3.14. Whenever Moses said, who will I say sends me? And the voice came out of that burning bush and said, you tell Pharaoh I am. Sends you. So this isn't new in the supernatural realm. This isn't new in the ethereal of the spiritual realm to hear those words. He says, I am. So in Exodus 3.14, there's an identification. He was saying it was really a to-be verb, and it just means it, it just means that I was, I am, and I will be. Where's Jesus of Nazareth? I was, I am, and I will be God. This is where the problem comes in for our society. No one in the progressive world wants Jesus to be the only way. They want another way. They, they, do, not want, they do not want a one way to get to heaven is through the, the door Jesus. They want several doors that fits their lifestyle. Jesus never dealt with us on the basis of our lifestyle or our beliefs on other religions. He came on the scene and said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am he. I am. I am the way. I am the door. And nobody gets to the Father except by me. Then we come up in 2023 because everybody's going to heaven. I had to preach the funeral of a murderer. His family said, Pastor Mike, will you preach Philip's funeral? I said, no. They said, yeah, but nobody else will. I thought, hello? I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. I speak at his graveside, and we don't take him through the church. We don't act like there's something that's not there. We don't put a front up in front of kids and other people and believers that are just coming in that this kind of activity is okay and God's good with it, and somehow I'm going to preach a message that's going to get him into heaven. Now, you're looking at somebody that loves people, and I don't want anybody to go to hell. But I can't put them in heaven. I can preach their life, and I can preach what the Word of God says, but I can't preach heaven to people that I don't know is going to heaven. Excuse me just a minute, but that was a tough graveside. And I told them, I said, the words I have to speak are for everyone here to let you know that there is a God. And I preached to them a salvation message for Jesus. And I didn't pray over Philip because the last thing he did was pull the trigger. 
on two people and then shot himself. And then my responsibility was get him in heaven. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And we don't get to heaven outside of Jesus. We can't be going totally against the word of God and expect that somehow we're just going to be there. I'll be honest with you. If everybody's in heaven, if everybody's in heaven, I'd probably get kicked out for being mad. Because I'm thinking, that joker right there, really? I mean, someone would be pointing at me, I get it. But still, but still, it's the idea that we've got to get in the right. Does that make any sense here? I know I'm kind of on myself here, but I'll move on. So, so he said this. The, he, gave him the, he gave him the verb to be. And that word to be, to be is I, I am. I'm not, I am this, I am that, I am because. It is I am and I need no thing or no person for me to be. But every person and everything must have me to be. I am. I do not need anything or any person for me to be. But every person and everything must have me to be. Everything you see according to Scripture is created by Jesus Christ. Everything you see. Everything we have is by Him. Well, I don't understand the science and how it doesn't fit the Bible. If you would ever study science and the Bible, you'd find out they do fit. I mean, I'll just give you this. Go order it on Google. Google up or get it on Amazon or something. Get, go to Prime. Get, get a thousand reasons that science is in the Bible by Ray Comfort. Little paperback book. You can probably get it for a couple bucks. It'll give you a thousand things that are in the Bible that are in science and biology. Here, here's just one. Here's just one quick one. Here's one right now. The Bible says this long before we discovered atoms, long before that, the Word of God says, and God created everything out of nothing. He cre- here's what He said everything was created from things we do not see. Can you see an atom? Are we created out of atoms? The Bible's already said that. That's not news to God. Because he created everything that we see from things that are unseen. I'm just saying, I mean, that's just a short thought, but just some of y'all need that. Your science teacher won't buy it, but heads up. He said this. He said, before Adam I was, or before Abraham I was, He had already quoted that out of John 8. He said, I've already been here. I was here before him. So here's the problem we've got. I'm going to give you this uh, quickly here. Uh, There are three things. There's going to be his audacious claim. Jesus claimed uh, just audaciously that he was God. That creates a tremendous problem with society that we've got to have a solution to. So the claim, the claim is the problem. It's the issue. 
No other founder of any major religion has ever made a claim that they were God. Not Confucius, not Buddha, not Muhammad. They are sages and prophets and spirit guides, and they say they can show you the way to truth. They can show you the way to life, but they can't give you that because they don't claim that. There's one person, one religion that has made the claim that the prophet is also God, and that's Jesus and Christianity. Pastor Mike, you're making it narrow. Yes, I am. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to salvation, and broad is the way that leads to hell. I'm just saying right now, we've made heaven so broad that we've got people that ain't going to make it, that we've said are going to make it. We had no Bible for them. The problem that we have is Jesus didn't come to show us a way to find God. He came as God because he knew we couldn't find him. Jesus didn't come as a way to find God. Now, that's not scriptural. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. Philip, come on. Have I not already told you? Jesus made no bones about he was God. So he didn't come to show us how to get to God. He came as God because we would never have found him. Does that make sense to you? There's a reason why he said that I am, that I am he, I'm the one. We've got a problem in our society because progressive paradigm of our culture says that all of our religions, including Christianity, are good, they meet people's needs, and you have to decide on which one fits you best. That's the problem. That's the problem. We can't find one that fits us best. That's, that's like what Pastor Deborah said last week. He said that we have, that truth is whatever we think truth is. No, there is a truth, y'all, that is his truth, and everything else is a lie. Amen? See, it's hard to preach this, because we've got too many people that are going to butt up against that and say, man, what are you thinking? Here's what I think. I think it's a waste of your time to come to church if we don't believe Jesus is a Savior. Stay home. Find you a mosque somewhere where you can kind of have more room. Find you a Buddhist temple where you can just live like you want to. Good luck with Buddha. I'm just saying, you're not going to find this broad way that you've been talking about and dreaming about. There's a narrow way, and it's going to be through Jesus, and we just need to find that. I know y'all are going to be saying, yeah, but you're just old. You don't know any better. No, I'm old, and that's why I know better. (laughs) Jesus is not going to let this happen. He's not going to let us get away to this Broadway mentality. Jesus, if he's who he says he is, Christianity is superior to all other religions, and Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. He's not a prophet pointing to God. He's God coming to get us. C.S. Lewis said this, if he's wrong, then he's a liar and a lunatic, and we need to despise him. If If he's wrong, If Jesus is wrong, he's a liar and a lunatic, and we need to despise him. But he also said that Jesus never acted creepy or crazy. He wasn't a lunatic. And the resurrection proved that he wasn't a liar. On the road to Emmaus, he explained it to people how he was and who he was and how he got to where he was after the resurrection. I'm just saying, y'all, he is who he said he was. If someone says, I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, but I believe and love His teachings, you've got these folk. 
I love his teachings. I just don't believe he's the son of God. Well, let me tell you right now, that is a person with no intellectual integrity. If you have intellectual integrity, it means you might research something and you might find out the bottom line of it. So if they tell me I read all of Jesus' writings and he's a great prophet, but I don't believe he's the son of God, then I will tell you that they have no intellectual integrity. Because if you're reading his writings and you're studying those writings, then you will find out he is the son of God. See, right now, that hurts somebody's feelings because you, got, you know somebody that they just say they love the Word of God and they just like what Jesus says. And we've heard people get on TV and say, well, you know, I just love what Jesus says. I love his teachings. I don't care who you are. You don't just love his teachings if you don't believe he's the Son of God because you don't study them. Does that make sense to you? No? Yes? How many of you ever heard somebody you know just flaky as they can be but say they just love the writings of Jesus? They just love his ways. We see them on TV. I mean, they get up and make, you know, they give away cars and houses, and then they say, you know, they believe in what he says. They just don't believe he's God. He's just a way. He's not the way. Then they've got a huge problem. And if he's just a way, then they ain't in the way. Okay, you want a better theologian? I'll give you one. Bono. Bono from YouTube. How many remember YouTube? How many? <laughs> Brian, of course you do. Uh, so we, 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 we remember you too. We, we've got our, our Irish singer here. So here, here's, here's Bono of YouTube. He was like, you can, you can YouTube this up for Pete's sake. I mean, it's public. He, got it, he was in an interview, and, and part of the interview, they, they said, don't you think that, the, that Jesus claiming to be God is far-fetched? Now they asked that to Bono. Don't you think that's far-fetched? Here's this Irishman's response. Over half the world has been changed and influenced by Jesus. And that if he is and, and that he is divine or he's nuts. Half the world has been influenced by him. So either he's divine or he's nuts. He said it's far-fetched to not believe that he is divine and that he is God. This is Bono. I mean, he gets it. He is God. He is divine. I mean, he just lays it out. Over half the world's population has been affected by him. Verse number six says, when he said, I am, that they all went backwards and they fell down. I'm going to just say this to you quickly. When a soldier falls down in that day and loses his footing, and even today, as far as that goes, if you've been in the military, you've been in training, there are times that you want to get down, that is to dodge, or you want to get down for a better shot. But if you fall down and you fall down backwards, you are off your feet and vulnerable. Same way with them. They were vulnerable when they fell down. When people say, well, they were just slain in the spirit. No, baby, they got in the presence of God. And that wasn't slain in the spirit. They were heathens, not believers. They, there was a whole different issue. Matter of fact, you read the Bible, the people slain in the spirit fell forward anyway. So what do you do with that? Excuse me for hurting your feelings on you deep charismatics. You'll, you'll get it later. 
Here's the thing. These 200 men or 600 men, they saw the very glory in the presence of God. When they got in his presence, they could not stand. This is why Ephesians 6, when it says, put on the whole armor of God. Therefore, once you've got it on, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, you've got the shield of faith, you've got uh, your loins girded with truth, you've got on the shoes of the gospel, you're already. Then it says, when you do that, what do you do? What do you do? Stand. What do you do when you're in battle? You stand. And this is the whole point. These guys could not stand because they were in the presence of God. I find that in Ezekiel in Exodus 3.14, Moses couldn't stand. In Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel could not stand. The very last verse of chapter 1 of Ezekiel. Second Chronicles 5, whenever the new temple was being dedicated, it said they all fell before the Lord because his presence, the kabod of God, the glory of God, came down on them and they could not stand because of his presence. In Isaiah six I find Isaiah saying this he said I saw the Lord high and lifted up on the day Uzziah died in the same year saw him high and lifted up and his train filled the temple his presence glory filled the temple and he said I fell on my face and I told him I am undone the word undone means I'm coming apart see there's some of y'all looking at me right now and say well I just never had anything like that I'm just going to say this to you revisit your prayer life Rudolph, <laughs> no, not the reindeer. <laughs> Rudolph, I know, right? <laughs> I just knew it was coming. If I said, I just got, I, I've got people here that would do these kind of things to me. Rudolph Otto, Rudolph Otto is a German theologian. He lived uh, like, he died in, like in 1927. So he's a turn of the century theologian. He's a German theologian. He's Lutheran. German theologian, Lutheran, philosopher. He's a comparative religionist. That means he studies all religions. He's a professor of cross-cultural studies. That means he's kind of like Melissa. He just goes all over, visits all kinds of people, and she's, she's a cross-cultural doctor. So she takes medicine all over. So he's cross-cultural studies. Here's what he found. Here's what Rudolf Otto found. He found what he called the mysterium tremendum. The mysterium Tremendum, the mystery of the tremendous. He said every, every time he studied Christianity, didn't matter where he went cross-culturally, when people encountered the presence of God, it affected them physically and emotionally. He called it the mysterium tremendum. It's also called the numinous, the numinous, the etherealness, the, 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 the part of God we can't put our hands on, but know it's there. Now, he's Lutheran, y'all. He wasn't Pentecostal, charismatic. He's a Lutheran. And he said, in our churches, in our worship, part of it's going to be to shut our mouths and sit quietly and wait on God. And they would have a time laid out. I don't know what it's called. But they had a particular time in their church that they sat and they didn't make a sound. And they just waited on God. They'd already sung. They'd already prayed. But they waited on God. And you know that got into the Quaker church. And we kind of made fun of the Quakers over the years because of their worship. But they have a time in their service where they make up their mind. They wait on God. I'm just saying there's some people that believe that God really is. And that if they'll wait on him, he'll come visit them. Here's the problem. We can't stand in his presence. We generally judge ourselves in the context of comparison. And I hate doing this, but I do it. I compare myself to others. 
I just was stupid. Going back to the gym. So I do, I do burpees. I can do some burpees. I'm not great, but I do a few. And I'll do a few burpees and think, I am really good at this. This is great. I'll do three or four, you know, and I'll get, I'll get, get my burpees in. And then I will make the huge mistake of being in the class with Cam. Stand up, Cam. I just want you to see him. Because y'all will think I'm just talking about somebody that doesn't exist. You can sit down there. It just makes me sick. Shannon, I, sometimes I hate him. I like him a lot, but I, sometimes I hate him. Because I'll, I'll do all of my burpees and think, look how well I'm doing. Then I look at that, huh? Don't talk to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Find somebody else to hurt. So... So it's Lee. But, but, but I get down and I do these burpees. I'm feeling good about myself. And I look at him and he does them like a dozen in just seconds. Just like a, like the, you just, just quit like that. I look at him and think, I'm so terrible. But can I tell you something? We all, we all judge ourselves in comparisons. We compare our education. I went to, uh, well, we could compare schools. <laughs> I'm not going to go there because I don't hear anybody saying, I went to Alabama. Right? I mean, I gave you an opportunity to say Auburn, Alabama. Everybody just consider like, well, you know, not quite Ivy League, but, you know, I went to school. So we go, we, we go by our education, how much education we have or what kind of education we have, and we think we're pretty good because of that until we get with somebody that's got a double doctorate and what we have, you know, a, a bachelor's degree in. Or we do pretty good talking about our job until we find out somebody else is now our boss. Or we do pretty good in our comparisons about our money until we find out somebody else is buying three times what we're able to afford. Or it could be beauty. You know, we think we're good looking and, and we're doing really well till somebody else draws all the attention because of their good looks. So I'm just saying, we are a society and a people of comparison. The problem is we bring that to the church and I'm going to hurt my feelings as well as yours right now, but we compare ourselves to other believers. I'm better than they are. Well, I may not be perfect, but I'm not doing that. Hello, y'all. I mean, isn't that where we live? We, 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 we compare ourselves to others. Oh, well, I'm better. Look what I'm doing. And they're not doing it. And we go through our thing. I'm going to say this to you. What you don't want is to go to heaven by your standards. See, you were thinking, I don't want to go by Jesus' standards, but if I could go by my standards, I know. I know if I went by my standards, I'd make it. You know, that, that's where you're in trouble. Because if you went by your standards, if God put an invisible person with you, Followed you around all your life. Heard you say what you thought about liars and gossipers and people that were had problems with lust or with addictions and how bad they were. And we they'd hear us all of our lives. And we get to heaven and that person appear with a notebook and say, now let me see. You lied here and you told a half-truth here, and you grossly exaggerated here. I'm just saying right now, we, we would have a problem if we went on our own judgment. So I'm saying right now, I don't want to go on my judgment. I'd rather go on his. 
I'd rather find out what Jesus says I need to do, figure that out, and let's go that direction. So verses 7 through 9, praise team, y'all can come up. We have a solution. We will land the plane. Verses 7 through 9, he says, who are you looking for? This is the second time he'd ask them. They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I'm he. But here's what he said. He said, I'm he. Let these go their way. One, one rendition of that is, forgive them. And it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken, that he lost none of them. In other words, Jesus was going to keep the word regardless. And he identified himself so he could let them go. I hope you're catching this. Because there's a solution in this room today for all of us. That Jesus is the one that says, I am he. I'm the one. Forgive them. Let it come to me. Substitution. Me for them. How many of y'all watched the last are little okay with it. Another good theological Let's do gratitude study. instead of worthy. How many have never seen Last Room of Heathens? We'll you just watch play it? that Good intro watch. progression on gratitude. Has three primary people in it. One is Cora, the, the beautiful girl from England that's come over. Her dad is a British military officer. They're fighting the French-Indian War in the colonies. And so Cora comes over. There's Hawkeye. Hawkeye is a colonist child that was raised by the Mohican Indians. So Hawkeye's there, handsome guy, Daniel Day-Lewis. And then there's Duncan, who's a British soldier who is a longtime friend of of Cora's family, and he's deeply in love with Cora. They get captured by the Huron Indians, and the Huron chief, the old man, is sitting there. He's got Cora and Hawkeye and Duncan right in front of him. He's got a big fire built with a, with a cross in it, an X like this, in, built in it, and he's got it over there. He looks at them, and he points to Korah, and he says, you will die for the sins of your family. What? You will die for the sins of your family, of your people. They came over here and killed our people, took our lands. You'll die for them. He's speaking in French. Now, Duncan understands French, and Cora understands French, but Hawkeye went to Auburn. <laughs> just saying, just saying. What? Bunch of whiners. So Hawkeye didn't understand French, and he looked at Duncan. What did he say? He said, she's going in the fire. He said, no, because Hawkeye loved her, and she loved Hawkeye. And he said, no, you tell him, me for her, me for her. In just a little bit, the chief nodded yes. uh, Duncan talked to the chief. The chief nodded yes. They got Cora, gave her to Hawkeye, and told them to leave. And Hawkeye looked around and said, didn't you tell him me for her? Duncan loved her. She didn't love Duncan, but he loved her. She 
loved Hawkeye, I didn't love him. He said, yeah, I told him, me for her. And they threw Duncan in the fire. Can I tell you something? <laughs> when we didn't love Jesus, he said, me for them, God. Me for them, Father. Me for them. I'll take it all. I'll take their punishment. I'll take the fire. I, me for them because I love them so much. Even they don't love me, I love them. That was, that was Duncan's idea. And it's almost biblical when it comes to us that Jesus died for us. Well, one more thing, and then I will let you go for real. It's late. But the kids are mad at me. Malchus is mentioned because Peter cuts his ear off. And we're going to say, why was Malchus mentioned? He's not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. The ear cut off is mentioned. Luke only, the doctor, of course, talked about it getting healed and put back on. But Matthew, Mark, or, or John didn't talk about it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke never said that Peter did it, but John told on him that he's the one that did it. Malchus is mentioned because in the Bible, you have bit players that have small parts and their names are mentioned because in ancient history, you proved history by eyewitnesses. So that's why in the Bible, you'll find those say, and a woman and her name was, or a servant and his name was, or there was a rich man, but there was a poor man named Lazarus. There was another name mentioned. They will always bring it in. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about the resurrection. He said the resurrection is a reality because he was seen by and then he lists who, was, who he was seen by, by Peter, by 500, by the apostles, by James, by me. He went down a list and he said, and most of these are alive today, eyewitnesses. That's why Malchus was mentioned, to let you know today, on April the 2nd, that this is a reality, that I'm not just telling you a story, but there's a reality of Jesus' love for you, that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Stand with me, if you would, before we get out of here today. All right, give me a pocket, Aaron. He told Peter. He, they didn't say that he called him dummy, but I pocket. can't imagine he didn't. Just, what a ridiculous thing to do. Put your sword up. He heals the ear. And then he says, shall I not? drink this cup? This whole thing that I'm about to go through is the cup. We're going to take communion next week. And when you take the cup, it's, it represents the blood. But I'm going to tell you something else. It represents all the judgment of God that we should have gotten was put on Jesus for us. You can be temporarily neutral. You say, well, I'm not sure. Okay, I'm going to give you something. You can be temporarily neutral while you try to figure out but you can't have a mild response to the revelation of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Said another way, you can have a temporary, temporary neutral position today saying, well, I'm not sure. I get that. That's fine. You can't keep that forever, A, but B, when you come to Christ, it will change your life. It will change your life. It will change your life. I want you to bow your heads and your hearts right now for a moment.
I want you to get a hold of one thing. Put me and everyone else out of the picture. Quit trying to figure out how God's going to deal with all of the other people and all the other things. This is about you. Our relationship and salvation is private. Our life in Christ is public. But right now in your heart, you've got to make your mind up that this Jesus is the I am. He is the way, the truth, the life. There's no other name under heaven whereby men not may be saved, but must be saved. And that is at the name of Jesus. So if that's the truth, then it is. And the Bible lays out that Jesus identified himself as being God, as being the way, as being the truth, as being the life, as being the door, as being the Savior, as being the Lord. He's all that and more. And today, that's who we're talking about. That's the responsibility that I have is to come to Him. Jesus, I need you to forgive me for my rejection of you, to cleanse my heart and my mind and my life. To forgive me, Lord. It was you for me. Because the truth is, I couldn't stand in judgment. But you can stand for me. The solution is, you are my substitute. So today, I don't come on my merits, on my looks, on my education, on my strength, on my knowledge. I come on your substitution. And ask you, Lord, to forgive me, to allow me to become a child of the Most High God through Christ Jesus, where is the forgiveness of sins. So, Lord, forgive me today. Forgive me today. Help me, Lord, for my life to change forever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Bring it down just a little bit. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your presence in this room. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us. Lord, I thank you that you love us. You love us enough to say, me for them. Me for them. I take your judgment. I take it. I take the shame. I take the sin. Me for them. Lord, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.